I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. We'll discuss the latest round of commitments. Will Foster, Westfall, and Jackson out of Gainesville, Buholtz, all committed to the Gators within the last week here. Foster, we're recording this show Friday night, uh, just dropped in the early evening hours here, Friday. Uh, SEC Media Day is coming up next week. We'll discuss a little bit of that and what we're looking forward to and maybe not necessarily looking forward to. And uh, Marco, uh, let's just say the other shoe has dropped, Will, with, with Marco Wilson. So we'll uh, we'll get a little bit into that to wrap up this show. We'll have a little fun with his recent comments on a podcast. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's not going too bad. We're almost – we're like two weeks away from camp opening up, man. So, like, uh, it's, it's really crept up on me this year. This is one of those where it's like it's time to – go and i gotta get geared up to go and usually it's sort of a slow ramp but uh it's going to be more aggressive this year the the travel baseball is taking up more time than i thought it would so get home from that and i'm just wiped turns out that uh you know it's more stressful coaching it than it is playing it so, yeah, <laughs> so it's been and writing uh spending a few months writing a magazine it, it kind of makes the season go faster the off season go faster doesn't it yeah yeah you know we're we're gonna have to stop writing the magazine just because i'm getting old really quick but uh <laughs> no nah, it's it, it's been a lot of fun right it's been a lot of fun putting that thing out and certainly everybody that just so everybody knows we've sold out of all the hard copies um if you ordered one it should have arrived if it hasn't please email me and we'll take care of you and uh you know there's still digital copies that are available so if you want to go on there you can order digital copies we'll probably be putting out something in the next week or two um sort of additional content a little bit of an update for those people who who already purchased a hard copy we'll send you that digitally and for uh for anybody who purchases the digital if you buy it now we'll send that to you then and if you buy it in the future then it'll come along with it yep yep so if anybody wants that digital copy you go to readingreaction.com slash mag or backslash mag right so you can find that on our website. All right, let's jump right into the show here. Teddy Foster has committed to the Florida Gators, cornerback out of Cardinal Mooney in Sarasota, Florida. 6'2", 170, Will. Lean kid. Uh, really has a good feel for where he is on the field. It, he was he was very fun to watch on film because there, there's times he would just drift into zone coverage and it, not necessarily like he has a good feel for, you know what, I think the ball's going this way. And he he tends to be right. Of course, those huddle highlights are highlights, right? So we don't have the clips of where he's from. But in a lot of those clips, though, it was really impressive. He's making plays, not necessarily uh, man-to-man or anything like that, but he's making plays just kind of in space, seemed to have a great awareness of where he was and a good feel for the game. Yeah, I mean, I th- so there's a couple of things. One is he's the only cornerback in the class so far. You've obviously got Xavier Filsimi as a, as a five star at safety. You got a bunch of linebackers, Jamonte Waller at edge. I expect him to move up in the rankings pretty significantly. And pro- he's a five star in twenty four seven. I think he might be a five star composite by the time we get to the end uh, of the season. There's certainly been a focus at, at linebacker and defensive line, but this, you know. And then you've got Josiah Davis at safety as well. Foster comes in now as the only cornerback. And you think about last year where, you know, they missed on Cormani McLean and didn't necessarily have the hall at cornerback that they thought they were going to. And so now you're coming in this year. And again, the cornerback position is rather light. And so Foster helps fill that out. He's somebody that anybody you talk to, anybody you've, uh, you've read today about Foster talks about him as a fast rising prospect, Um, you know, six foot two. So he's a big dude there on the outside. He's not five foot nine. And then he's from Sarasota. Right. And we talk endlessly about drawing a circle around Gainesville. Sarasota is a big part of that. 
offers from North Carolina and then Appalachian State, Duke and FIU are sort of the five. So, you know, you're not fighting Clemson and, and Alabama for him specifically. But again, a guy from Florida plays basketball, plays wide receiver and DB, a big dude. Um, you know, nine pass breakups and two interceptions last year as well, 17 receptions and three touchdowns. So been productive, um, certainly an athletic guy on the outside. And again, because he's in the state of Florida, you, you suspect that Florida has a good read on him, probably better than some other, uh, some other programs out there as well. So a, a good pickup for Florida, a position of need for this recruiting class. And so good to have Teddy Foster in the fold. Yeah, we've seen them. We've talked about with this class. Uh, the real after watching last year, I believe uh, most of the class was based out of Florida. In last the last cycle here, uh, this cycle, they're going all over the place to get guys. They're they're not afraid to go national and get elite guys in this class here. But you you would expect the bulk of the class from here on out to really be built up with Florida guys. Well, but we were talking about not all these guys are, are going to be like the the high level four or five star type dudes, but these might be the guys that they've spent more time on in the film, more time on searching for. You look at the body type there. He might He's a three-star prospect right now, but you talk about him being a fast riser. That ba- body type there for a corner, that's highly sought out after that basketball athletic frame, long cornerback. They, they really seem to like that body type for a cornerback there, Will. Yeah, I mean, it's going to depend on his hip movement, right? I mean, you think about guys who are six foot two. Sometimes those guys have really fast twitch and they can open up their hips really quickly and they can stay with guys, stay with burners on the outside. Other times you got to move those guys to safety because they don't necessarily have that quick twitch, aren't able to turn, run, and then make the adjustment and come back on uh, on comeback routes and those sorts of things. Um, you know, look, he's a, he's a good prospect. He's not a great prospect, but um, you expect Florida, because he's in the state of Florida, to have a pretty good read. And yeah, they're filling out the class, but I, you know, the, the average player ranking now is actually lower than it was last year. There's more elite players in this class, but there's less sort of in the middle ground. Um, one thing that might be interesting is to actually take a look at the last two classes and go, okay, if I look at these last two classes, if they added a couple of more elite guys, would you look at those two and say, Hey, that's up there with, you know, maybe not Georgia, but it's up there with Ohio state and LSU. Or would you look at it and go, eh, it's still a little bit short. I mean, how they fill out this class, they probably got five or six. Well, they might even have eight. They might be able to sign 28 just because they've had l- smaller classes the last couple of years. But, you know, they're going to need to bring in some high, high level guys to move the needle significantly. And, uh, you know, I expect that to happen. But, you know, back when the back when the rating was 93 a couple of months ago, I was sitting there going, OK, this has an opportunity to be a monster a monster class. Now we're getting into a stage where it's like, it's going to be a very good one. You obviously have the quarterback prospect. who's a five-star guy in DJ Lagway, but you know, we're, we're drifting further and further away from an Alabama or a Georgia type class more and more into a USC or, or a Clemson type class, which isn't bad, but given the behemoths in the sec, it still means there's some work to be done. Yeah. And like you said, really uh first cornerback committed in this class right so uh another position here that florida has really lacked on in previous cycles the offensive tackle position was also got a big get this week with fletcher westfall out of leesburg virginia six foot eight 335 pound offensive tackle out of leesburg there well they beat out the clemson tigers for this kid you went up to tobacco road and you beat out the acc power uh, so it's nice to see us doing the Clemson 
what they've been doing to us the last several years here. So it's nice to see some uh, victories on the recruiting trail over a power like Clemson there. Uh, Brian Doan from the national, uh, he's the national recruiting analyst for 24 seven has him uh, has him projected as a power five starter at the next level. So this is a kid they feel like can really contribute uh, on a solid level here at Florida. Will he says he possesses elite size and the type of frame that can be developed because there's a lot of room for it. Uh, the upper body strength needs to be, be developed specifically. He has two way uh, ability on, on snaps. He, he plays both offensive de and defense. It shows his explosion and ability to uncoil when playing nose guard on the defensive side. Well, big size, big frame. This is another body that they're adding to the full, but unlike previous offensive line commits that we've talked about as more developmental projects, this guy's coming in here with some high acolytes. Yeah, well, I mean, six foot eight, three thirty-five. At least from a size perspective, that's a guy that you could plug in right away. You mentioned pulling him from Clemson. This is a guy who I believe, when uh, when Gator Dave and I had DJ Lagway on Gators Breakdown, he was personally recruiting Westfall. That was one of the guys when we asked him, "Who are you going after? Who are you trying to convince to come?" And we sort of expected he was going to say Jeremiah Smith, or we suspected he was going to say like a big time wide receiver. And the first thing he said is, "I need an offensive tackle. I need somebody to I need somebody to to protect my blind side." My and bad. so. You know, we, we we thought very early on when DJ Lagway came in early and committed the class early that he might have an impact. And I think we've seen that throughout in terms of him tweeting at the guys who've committed and that sort of stuff. But Westfall is somebody that he named by name in terms of people he was trying to get to come to Gainesville. And so now Westfall pops for Florida over a program like Clemson, over Arkansas, where obviously Sam Pittman is is pretty good at coaching offensive linemen. And Georgia and Auburn are on that list too in terms of places that he has offers. So, um, you know, the, the last Foster, I was saying, you know, you got North Carolina and Appalachian State. This kid wasn't going to Appalachian State. I mean, he was he was going to be a bulldog dog or a tiger or, 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 you know, maybe a hog. And it turns out he's a gator picking over programs that Florida's going to have to beat. And so um, it's a big get for Billy Napier, especially considering that most of the offensive linemen he has signed have been somewhere in like the 450 to a thousand range on the offensive line. He's now going to have four years to develop a guy who comes in with a four-star pedigree. You know, this isn't a can't miss prospect. This isn't Samson Okunlola from a couple from a year ago, but this is a guy who's going to be a major contributor on the offensive line, and we should expect to see him out there relatively quickly. And we should expect that, um, you know, again, that having two offensive line coaches can maybe accelerate that development. And you can't fake six eight three thirty five. And so you get a guy out there that big, he's going to be able to make some mistakes and recover. And then obviously, you suspect that with the uh, with the coaching that he's going to get, that uh, that he'll have a chance to succeed at Florida. I saw a chart this week on Twitter, and I'm I'm blanking on who I saw it. So apologies for the lack of attribution here. But uh, it said that Florida, on average, had the second largest offensive line in college football now ahead of Alabama. So I think Alabama was number three and, you know, that, that Crimson Tide offensive line under Saban, that's been one of the things they've been known for. And uh, the offensive front here, it's been a little hit and miss over the last several years. Well, there's certainly been times where it's been okay. Uh, but for the most part over the last decade, it's definitely been a unit that has lacked uh, star power. And it's, there, there's some degree of, uh, that turning around here under Billy Napier. Well, and more than anything, I think numbers have been an issue. And and you think about, so Bill Sykes wrote a really good article on Read and Reaction a couple of years ago where he looked at the offensive line at Florida and he compared it to Alabama and to Georgia and some other big time programs. 
And what he found was is that you really needed to sign four offensive linemen every cycle in order to be successful. And it wasn't necessarily programs that were signing five-star offensive linemen. Now, certainly you'd love to have five-star guys in the fold, but it was that you had attrition, you had injuries, you had guys who transferred, and you just needed numbers. And one of the problems that Florida kept having was that they would get one offensive lineman signed in one class, and then they'd sign six in the next one. And so then all those six guys would all be competing for the same spot. One guy would get injured, you'd have a couple transfer, and all of a sudden you got a three or four-year period where you've only got five guys who came into your program. So all five of them have to hit. So if you look at this, it's not just to me about Westfall. Certainly Westfall is a, a, a good prospect and the best prospect they have right now. But you keep going down that list and you've got Marcus Maskell for, out, of, out of Georgia who signed offensive tackle, 6'4 and a half, 292. Then you've got Noel Port, Portugan, the interior offensive lineman from the Germany, German. who's, who's a prospect, right? 6'5", 334. And then you got Mike Williams out of Upper, Upper, Upper Marlboro, Maryland, the offensive tackle, 6'7", 310. So, look, these guys are a couple – all three of those guys I listed are three-star prospects, but you've hit that number of four. And so you're what we're seeing with Billy Napier is a consistent ability to bring in four to five offensive linemen every class. And so what we're going to see – I you know, I'm not quite sure that the two coaches makes that big a difference. Maybe it does in terms of performance, but I'm not sure it does in terms of whether the guys turn out or not. But I think which, what we're finding, and we always talk about this, is stack players at positions of need, and they are stacking guys in the offensive line. If you look at last year's offensive line class, I want to say there were four last year as well. And so if you're bringing in four guys every year in the offensive line, especially at that position – like there are three-star guys who play offensive line all the time and are effective. Um, and not just because of percentages and things like that, but because it's hard to grade those guys in the middle area at offensive line, right? You don't know how a guy's going to develop as he puts on weight. You don't know what, how a guy's going to develop as he loses weight, right? You don't know how a guy's going to develop as he sort of loses the baby fat and gets stronger, even if he's just, even if he's staying the same size. So there's a lot of different things that can happen on offensive line. Whereas at wide receiver, you see a guy run by the defense. You're like, okay, right, that guy's going to be able to play in college. And so um, I, I do think that the evaluation um, – and I, look, I'd love to have four or five-star offensive linemen in the fold, but obviously that that isn't happening. Westfall, though, is a big get, and he sort of cements the numbers. If you had a guy who signed who was like 700 again, and you're sitting there looking and going, oh, I got a guy who's 700, 750, 1,000, and 1,200 – you know, all right, like the talent level, is it really high enough we're going to get delivery on that? But Westfall really raises the average talent rate, talent rating of the four guys they have in the fold. And again, I think the numbers are important, especially on offensive line. Tell me what you think about over the past year. I, I have a group uh, text with a couple of really good friends of mine. One guy's a cane, one guy's a, a seminal. I'm the gator in the group. And uh, so we have a pretty interesting thread uh regarding recruiting we we keep each other we're on we're all over it pretty much every commitment there's a comment on something but one of the comments i got in the group text tonight after the foster commitment drop is like man what happened with the nil situation like it just feels night and day from the rashada situation uh, this wasn't that long ago well and you're sitting here you're going up into virginia you're getting a guy against a clemson program that has recruited fantastically this offseason this cycle they're, they're doing a good job on the trail they've picked up some big names i'm thinking about like sammy brown out of georgia and they, they picked, they've done a good job so clemson has done a nice job kind of resetting inside the building with a couple uh offseason hires at the at the coordinator position there and that's a good win that's a big win for billy on the trail 
how you feeling about where we're at with NIL right now with this class being stacked up the way it is heading into your September timeline that you, that you've always talked about. I mean, we'll see how he finishes. I, I think I feel there are things that you could write about this class that definitely make it better than last year's and he's building. And that's something that Florida's recruiting over the last three or four coaches has not done. It's been, uh, you know, it's been year one, year two, there's a jump and then back in year three. This year, we didn't have near the jump I wanted in year two. And now we're having another jump in year three. I think that's a good sign. Um, but look, it's to me, it's it's disappointing when you fail in a spectacular way, be, like they did with Rashada, because, yeah, it leaves a little bit of a black eye and it's frustrating, all that sort of stuff. But in some ways, when you when you fail or when you have something difficult like that, and it's so obvious and so public, it necessitates real reflection and change, as opposed to saying, eh, this kid just decided he didn't want to come here. Nah, this is, there was like a contract snafu and a disagreement about payment terms, and the collective couldn't get, didn't understand exactly what the program wanted, the program didn't understand exactly what the collective was doing and so you start looking at all those different things and the communication and sort of the high level strategic vision of the program and you go all right like we got to take a real fresh look at this because this can't happen again right i guarantee you that there were calls from boosters going what in the heck is going on here during that entire rashada situation and so it puts some pressure on you to put things in place and make sure you've got the proper protocols in place so that it doesn't happen again. Whereas if you just have sort of, if, like I said, if a kid just goes someplace else, or if it's quiet when a deal falls apart and not nearly as publicized as Florida's was, then you go, well, that's just sort of a one-off. That's not really that big of a deal and that sort of stuff. So I think what you've seen is a tightening of protocol standards and the way that they're communicating. And, and it also helps that the state of Florida has passed legislation that allows them to do that in a little bit more straightforward and above board way. And so you combine those two things. And I think what's happened is, is that the program has, has been able to take a negative in some respect and turn it into at least a growth opportunity. I'm not going to say that it's a positive, but a growth opportunity. And look, I mean, halfway through the year, we may be ruining the fact that Jaden Rashad is not out there on the field. But in terms of what it's doing for this 2024 class, and perhaps more importantly, what we see for the 2025 class as that one develops. Because again, you can always put up one data point. Jimbo Fisher put up one data point when NIL came in and they just went nuts and all of a sudden had every guy you could ever imagine on there. But what happens in 2025? Because AM sort of recruited at like a 90.5 average player rating. Then all of a sudden it was like, hey, we got eight five stars. And then they were back right down to the 90.5 again right after that. And so that one year, we'll see how we'll see what happens. I mean, may maybe AM has a huge year coming up in a year or two, and it's all justified, but um, but resource allocation becomes really, really important. And so um, you know, I think Florida, at least in positions of need, especially, is making sure they get who they need. And so it's a, it's a positive development. I'm not ready to claim that it's a win. Uh, you got to finish out this class. You got to make sure nobody flips. And quite honestly, they still need a couple of elite guys in this class to make it in Ohio State or a Clemson or even, uh, you know, before we even approach Georgia and Alabama. And so, you know, they got to get that done. But I feel a lot more sanguine about recruiting now than I did last year at this time. And and that's a good feeling because in the third year for each of these coaches, I felt a lot more negative over the last three or four coaches in the program. And right now I'm feeling more positive towards Napier. But again, still a long way to go. You might rue the Rashada uh, situation once or twice this season, Will, but you probably won't rue it 13 million times. 
I'm guessing. <laughs> so just well, you got that going for you. It feels like night and day with this Florida victorious deal, though. It just feels like a different situation. It's cohesive. It's something they got cleaned up. They got cleaned up and they did a great job uh, identifying where they came up short. And it just seems like a lot smoother process this year. Of course, I, I think there's maybe a lot of schools that figured out how to do it better, but glad to see lessons seem to be learned. And uh, yeah, like you said, it seems to be a cohesive operation this year. Uh, last commitment though. Don't want to forget about him. Local kid. I actually left him for last because I, I love this kid's film. Kendall Jackson out of Gainesville Buholes from Andrew Ivins uh, about the 6'4", 250 pound defense alignment. Andrew Ivins is the 24-7 director of scouting. Uh, he called him a scheme versatile defensive lineman with growth potential and developmental upside. Has lined up in everything from a wide nine to uh, zero technique uh, at the prep level, but figures to settle in as more of an interior player as he's younger for his grade and is believed to already be hovering around 6'4", 250, like I had said. Uh, seven sacks as a sophomore, Will. And then 12 and a half more as a junior. And well, this kid, he's quick for his size. I'm not sure I see him as an edge guy, though, because some of the guys he got coming off the edge in this class alone, yet alone what they already have on the roster. I'm not sure he's got that kind of speed. So when you really do look at him, he does look more like that interior type body that he can grow into. But he gets pressure from the inside they also do have him come off the edge he, he just whoops anybody in front of him on a high school film but coming from the inside he's good at, at giving a little move and getting by whoever's blocking him and putting a lot of pressure on a lot of pressure on the quarterback in his film will uh he's a lot of fun to watch kendall jackson always love the local products staying home uh especially when it looks like they look like they have as much potential as mr jackson does yeah, well, I mean, certainly, obviously, uh, the Florida program has gotten a close look up close with Kendall Jackson, considering that he's right there in town, um, have the opportunity to essentially take an unofficial visit any day he wants. That certainly helps in terms of in terms of being able to recruit him. I think, again, I do the same thing with him that I do with 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 Westfall, which is look at what Florida already has in the hopper. Obviously, you've got Miles Graham and Adarius Hayes and Aaron Childs at linebacker, but then you've got a Morris Williams at defensive line. You've got Nasir Johnson at defensive line and you've got, um, uh, and then you got Michael Boru at defensive line. So you got four guys on the defensive line that you're bringing in. In addition to all the guys that they brought in last year. I mean, right. You, you look at the guys we're really relying on or that we're hoping to rely on this year coming in. Kelby Collins was a big time defensive lineman who came in out of, out of Alabama you got uh, you got Cameron James, you got Will Norman. I'm sort of you got T.J. Searcy, Gavin Hill. You got all those guys who were sort of in that hundred to two hundred range overall in the in the, in the overall rankings. And now you're sort of filling it out in the front end and the back end on those rankings. And I do think this is one of the interesting things we'll have to take note with NIL. Is I think there's going to be, you know, in the past you just sort of stacked guys. But it's not necessarily NIL, I think, that makes the biggest difference here. I think it's the transfer portal rules. That if you just stack guys who are all ranked 14th and say, yeah, come compete, well, you lose the job and you're going to go transfer someplace else. Whereas if you bring in sort of a 
smorgasbord of of guys in terms of their rankings like a guy like uh you know a, a guy like jackson who's ranked 389th by uh by 2470s in the 400s in the 247 composite like a very good prospect but not somebody that you're going to look at after a year of sitting on the bench and go oh what a major win to have that guy transfer from one program to another and so there you know i even thought about this when kyle trask was the quarterback for florida is is there value in recruiting a guy that you think has enormous upside and bringing him as in as a second quarterback in a class knowing he's not going to go anywhere because he maybe doesn't have the tape or because he doesn't have the experience or he's missing the skill or, or whatever and and i do think that in some ways you do that on the defensive line as well but again you look at last year's class defensive line was clearly an area of emphasis again defensive line an area of emphasis in this 2024 class um you know, a little bit different way of emphasizing it, but certainly, um, you know, this is a guy who, when you look at all the, all the write-ups on him and things like that, people go, he projects as a power five starter. Florida hasn't had a lot of power five starters that they could just rotate in on the defensive line. It's been very, very thin. We talked extensively all season long about Javon Dexter playing way too many snaps. And who's so he played um, next to in the last few years, Will. Who Dexter? Yeah. Who's he played next to in the last few years? I mean, it depends. Transfers. We've had transfer after transfer coming in to try to fill that spot. Right. I mean, you're going to high school, buddy. Yeah. We're actually getting some recruits and that could actually potentially fill that spot. So I, I, I like this kid. I like what I saw on him. 250. Will. I imagine he's probably going to play 30 to 40 pounds heavier in college. I mean, he's going to have to. You don't see yeah. a lot of 250-pound defensive linemen. No, no, no. I mean, I mean it, you, you see sort I of like – he's He also looked like he, he's the type of guy that can carry it pretty easy. So, I mean, this guy's going to look significantly different in college than he does in high school. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you think about the Alex Browns of the world. You think about um, – you think about Brenton Cox, right? Like those are guys who are sort of in that 250 to 260 range, the guys who are coming off the edge. Um, that's not necessarily what this guy's going to do. Um, so yeah, being able to set the edge, making sure that, uh, you know, LSU can't just run counter after counter will be a big part of his uh, repertoire when he's out there. And so, yeah, I mean, look, I think <laughs> for the most part, you got to be 280 plus pounds to play defensive line in the, in the SEC. And uh, unless you're a special pass rusher, and even then, usually they move you to outside linebacker and 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 have you come off the edge. So, um, you know, he's going to have to put on some weight. And and look, I mean, he's not a five star can't miss prospect. He's a guy who's going to have to uh, to develop and improve. And I'm certain though that uh, the that the staff's going to get him in there and get him to where they want him to be. And and he's going to be a successful part of what they're trying to build. Also, interesting tidbit here. He is the nephew of late Florida star receiver Aubrey Hill, who was a yeah. big-time star for Spurrier in the 90s from 91 to 94, caught 87 passes for a little over 1,400 yards and 18 touchdowns for the Gators. So Gator legacy, too, coming in, not only Gainesville kid, but also Gator legacy in that way. Um, Will, we got, like you said, we've been doing the countdown to kickoff here, SEC Media Days. Is coming up this next week. You got Eggleton, Marshall, and Pearsall going to represent the Gators, of course, with Coach Billy Napier. Uh, we got the schedules here on Monday. Brian Kelly, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, and Jimbo are kicking things off Tuesday. Drinkwitz and Jimbo and yeah. Brian Kelly. Boy, is that an interesting what, lineup. What a likable combination. <laughs> uh, Tuesday, J- July 18th, uh, Hugh Freeze, Kirby Smart. Zach Arnett and Clark Lee going Mississippi State and Vandy on the back end there. You uh, think Freeze is gonna? You think Freeze is gonna like challenge Smart to an arm wrestling match or something? Like, 
He he needs to dig at him. He, like Freeze needs to treat Kirby like Lane treats Saban. Like that would make this all more entertaining. <laughs> I hope so, man. Hugh Freeze. I I'm not opposed to having Hugh Freeze back at the SEC. I welcome that. That. Uh, I mean, he's just got to make sure he's got better burner phone policies, man. That's that's the only thing. Hugh Freeze and Auburn were born for one another. <laughs> I I love that fit. I just I love that. Fit. They should have had the guts to hire him a couple of years ago. Uh, that's just such a perfect fit man uh wednesday july 19th saving kicks things off followed by Pittman, billy napier and mark stoops wrap it up and uh, uh the final uh final show here we got lane kiffin leading things off thursday july 20th shane beamer and josh heupel will wrap it up well i i like sec media days for what it symbolizes uh I, you get an interesting quote out of a few guys lane kiffin I want to see there's a few guys I want to watch, but uh, I'm not expecting many fireworks for Billy Napier. Cause that guy, I, I honestly think if Billy ever gets bored of coaching, I think politics has his name written all over it and he could just go give speech after speech and, and he could say what he needs to say without saying a whole lot. I, I think he's good at filling the time and uh, you know, I'm sure he'll say a few things about competing hard and everything else, but I'm not sure we're going to have a lot of Billy Napier quotes to read next week at this time i mean we'll have some stuff to read just because he'll say some stuff and we'll be like yeah okay we agree with that nah i'm not sure that was a political answer maybe what we need to do is like a like a he said we heard where where it's billy napier says this and we're like oh no like uh it's not even there's not even he's even good at not leaving a ton of room for for interpretation oh believe me we'll make something up that's entertaining (laughs) but i mean look this is always the deal right is this is an opportunity for players who have who have who have bled and sweat for the program to come and participate and have a nice have nice meals and stay in nice hotels and talk to the media and get that sort of exposure that maybe they haven't gotten before and really guys who probably you expect not to be back next year so Pearsall certainly and Egwakin um, are going to be graduating and then you look at Jason Marshall if he has a big year he's going to the NFL as well so those three guys are the guys you look at and say yeah those are probably those are guys who've been here for a long time those are guys who bought in to what Billy Napier is selling and then um and then obviously there are guys who are going to be gone after this year. So to me, that's sort of the fun is you get to hear from the guys who are now sort of reflecting back on their careers and realizing that this might be the last year of their career and and talking about what it means to see a program build and all that sort of stuff. You get a little bit more of a personal look when you look at the actual players who are coming through. You know, Again, Kirby Smart, the only thing he's going to have to answer to is all the speeding going on down there. Saban, they'll probably ask him, you know, when's he going to retire? Um, I am interested to hear who Lane Kiffin decides to go after because there are probably three or four different coaches he might decide to to throw barbs at. Um, but uh, he's also a lot like uh, Animal House, right? Like he can make fun of Nick Saban, but nobody else can make fun of Nick Saban. Same thing with the pledges from Animal House. So, look, I mean, it, it's entertaining, like you said, because of what it symbolizes, but it ain't going to win a game out there on the field. And, and uh, you know, we're probably not going to get a whole lot of information, at least not out of the coaches, that's going to reflect what's going on in the field. Though, I mean, I'll be interested to hear what, what Aguacan and Pearsall think about Graham Mertz. What, is, what does Marshall think about – how the bad the defense was last year and how much they've improved. And obviously you're going from, from Patrick Tony to Austin Armstrong. And what does that look like? So, you know, there's going to be some information that we'll glean maybe a little bit. We'll read way too much into it. They'll lie to us again during fall camp. And by the time the ball drops, when, uh, when they're playing Utah, it'll be completely different than everything these guys have told us, but at least they'll entertain us in the month or two leading up to the season. Yeah, that's 
really the more the purpose of this than anything i feel like it's good networking event for uh the media and uh they but the, these coaches are just they've all become masters at really not saying a ton at these events so the big the big 12's gone on the last few days uh you, you see the killer headlines out of that well, hey venables took a shot at miami today yeah that was a good one that was an okay one he did do that. So, Start so, talking about not every seven loss season is the same. He so said, I mean, it's one thing if you lose to Middle Tennessee State and lose forty-five to three to FSU. So Miami fans are thinking he's taking a shot because they've they've had a couple battles on the recruiting trail. So yeah, maybe you'll get get a couple comments, but really, it's more to me. It's more symbolic because it's like, okay, this is the the off the field kickoff to the season. Let's go. Yeah. We're getting absolutely. We're getting there. So that'll be up in Nashville next week. Billy Napier for you Gator fans out there. Uh, Wednesday, July 19th, he will be the third coach out to shoot on that day. Uh, all right, let's wrap up the show here. We'll uh, talk about our good buddy, uh, Marco Wilson. Marco Wilson was on a podcast this past week. He was asked, if you had a chance to do it again, would you throw the shoe? And he said, 100%, probably further. That was his answer <laughs> and, and completely laughed after it. And look, Hey, I'm all for the guy having a sense of humor about it. Have some, have some fun with it, but is it still too soon? Will? is it still too soon to have zero remorse about that and to just make it a total joke just yet? Well, I mean, it's too soon. Cause he's never had remorse about it. Right. Yeah. Like, like he's always been, he was always either very defensive about it or very nonchalant about it. And look, I mean, the reality is that, that, whole move cost Florida that game because there was no way LSU was stopping Kyle Trask when Florida's offense got the ball back. Mm -hmm. And Kadarius Tony was absolutely unstoppable in that game. They almost kicked the game-winning field goal and sort of or game-tying field goal and saved Marco's butt in that game. But they had like, what, 22 seconds or something to drive down the field um, and almost did it because of Tony and Trask. So it cost Florida a shot at a national title because they they had that game against Alabama in the SEC championship game. And, you, you know, maybe they pull that off if they've already pulled off the 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 win against LSU maybe um you know the voters decide to put them in the playoff even though they lost in the SEC championship game because they would have been a two loss SEC team at that point but would have had a heck of a resume especially with the way they played Alabama so there, there was a lot on the line when he did it and you know like again this goes back to what I said earlier about NIL and recruiting is that when you screw up you have to own it and then you have to make amends or you have to make adjustments for it and they're like i have not liked the way the florida fan base has gone after marco wilson and i'm sure that sort of is reflected in the comments that he's made mm -hmm. but he ain't helping himself right i mean at some point you just gotta like sort of take your medicine and say yeah i shouldn't have done that and if i had to do over again you know i kid around with my friends i would have thrown it further but you know i wish i hadn't let my teammates down and that's the thing right is um, I was at a little league game the other day where somebody won districts and apparently somebody behind the fence was giving him crap. And while his team was celebrating that they just won the game, he was out at the fence with his glove down, like talking to the kids in the outfield and, and giving them the business. And I'm like, I'm sure that feels great. They were sitting there talking to you and giving you crap and I'm sure it feels great to turn around, but you just missed out on celebrating with your team, the thing that you just accomplished and you can't get that back. And I think that's sort of the same thing here is Marco Wilson had the ability to make a stop in a season that he hadn't played very well in make a stop. 
a key stop, Florida wins that game against LSU, and you get to go celebrate with your team instead of sitting there chucking the shoe and then having, I mean, if I was a teammate, I would have been just livid, right? Not because he got a penalty, but because it was just so stupid. Right. And you're sitting there looking at it going. I would guess that some teammates are probably still pretty annoyed hearing that comment right yeah, there. So irrespective yeah. of whether it's too soon for me, we need to be asking Kyle Trask, is it too yeah. soon? We yeah. need to be asking Kadarius hey, Tony, is too soon. Because uh, Tony clearly. Did your well, entire tenure fall apart after that that, that shoe toss? It's well, just, te- we haven't well, gotten it back yet. We're still in the funk. We've been in a funk since that shoe flew through the air, through the fog, and it hasn't come back. It hasn't come back. Like, well, once Billy gets us back, hopefully, right, if we get back on top, we win a little bit, we have something, some hardware again. Then it's a funny joke. It's a funny joke at that point. You got to give it a little time to breathe, though, Marco. It hasn't had time to breathe, man, for you to be coming back on that. It's like, no, 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 that's not too funny yet. That's not too funny well, yet. Well, let's let's everybody go tweet at Kadarius Tony because if uh, his recent videos towards the New York Giants are an indication, that dude holds a grudge. So, so, <laughs> no, no, no. He'll tell us exactly what he thinks. Like, hey, Kadarius, was it too soon? Like, what do you think? <laughs> He'll give us a video in the dark where the only thing you can see is his teeth, and uh, you know, it'll 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 be awesome, man. That's the uh, that's the way to go. Oh, I thought he was allegedly hacked, Will. I mean, probably. Is that, is that what he ended up saying on that? I have no idea, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, uh, let, let's let's see if we can get him off the record. Then let's let's see what we. Can it's get. just look. I mean, the guy's obviously joking. Everybody's you know, have a sense of humor about it, but at the same time, like, yeah, just not. <laughs> it's like one of those things where you just do that. Too. <laughs> okay. Well, like, I mean, I you know, so so when is it not too soon, right? Like if Jordan when Reed we start went on a pod- again, when we have yeah, a so- couple of years where the pain is not still prevalent, the pain is still readily pre- like it's still here. We haven't gotten out of the funk we've been in since that moment. The the All program's right, so- just been spiraling since that moment. We probably we we do have a losing record since that happened, right? We yeah, have a so- losing record since that occurred. So can Jordan Reed joke about the fumble in 2012 against Georgia? Is that all right? We got let's win another SEC title first. That's the guy we should ask. We should ask Jordan Reed when is it too soon? (laughs) Because I'm sure he got some. But again, that's a fumble that's in the game, right? Jordan Reed didn't do something stupid. He fumbled. Like this guy's like, like if Ron Artest was to joke about the malice in the palace at this point. (laughs) Like, it's funny. Like, it's like 20 years ago. It's hysterical. Like, I remember staying up late watching Sports Center that night. This unbelievable. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a Pacers but, fan. I So, I grew up in Indiana. I'm a Pacers fan. And that team had a shot at winning the finals or at going to go into the finals and maybe winning a championship. And Indiana, to use your definition, has been in a funk ever since. Like, <laughs> and so. So, you know, Jermaine O'Neal fell off a table and, and, uh, at yeah, that I'm not going to blame Ron Artest for Indiana's downfall. They got some other problems cooking in Pacer land. It's, that's not all on Ron Artest. Though, I blame but... Ron Artest 100%. We would have, we would have won the championship with it. Yeah. Yeah. 20 if he years. Hadn't that, gotten into I, it with I, I think you give it a decade, Marco, and, and let us win a little bit. We'll, we'll be more. You come on. We'll cut, we'll have you on this podcast. You could joke about, but man, give it a little time to breathe, dude. That's, that's all I would say. That's all I would say on that one. Well, it is what it is, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure that uh, we'll be putting him on the ring of honor, I guess is the only, uh, the only thing there. Yeah, we can. uh, Yeah. All right. Any final words, Will, before we head out? 
Nah, just again, thank you everybody for helping us with the magazine. I appreciate everybody um, helping us sell out with the second co- the second print run we did. Um, obviously, we'll do it again next year. So if you have feedback, you can send that to me, will at readreaction.com. I forward it on to Nick, and then he yells at me in terms of, uh, see, I told you we should have done that. So that's always fun. Um, and if you want to pick up the digital copy, if you haven't picked it up yet, readreaction.com slash MAG, readreaction.com slash MAG. Support us over there, and uh, we appreciate it. It's been uh, – it was a lot of work, a labor of love, but I think we're both really proud of the way it turned out. And so, uh, you know, we hope you all enjoy it and, uh, and, uh, we appreciate the support. One Saturday closer to college football, everybody have a great weekend and go Gators. Go Gators. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to stand up and holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like, and subscribe our YouTube channel here at read and reaction. Or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.